You're listening to the State of Our Football Nation on FNR. Hello, wherever you might be listening. Hello, welcome to uh, our State of Our Football Nation uh, that we lock into each and every week. Uh, Lockie Flanagan is running the uh, the control mechanism that allows all Doing of this to best. occur. Now you are. You're, you're focused. You've had some really good news out of Scotland, which is putting a perpetual smile on your dial. More Australians playing in Scotland right now than probably Scott's playing in Australia. Yeah, well, you could make it. You could almost make a full <laughs> full eleven of them at the moment. You even have a keeper now with uh, with Mark Birrigidi over there too. But uh, I I just thought the good news you were talking about is Hearts getting a win on the opening day, which is always a good thing. But it is a good thing. Now, look, I was just remarking uh, just before we came on air. One of the most wonderful things, if you think of all the Scots who have played in Australia, who have coached in Australia, who have made an impact on the game over the years. This is only appropriate, and it's very timely that now Australians can be making an impact yeah, on there, there's the game something, in Scotland. Something very satisfying about is, seeing that ledger square. Might have taken up. us a hundred years, but <laughs> it's fantastic. Um, listen, Long-term we're going to be talking football for the next hour. We've got some wonderful guests. Uh, first up, it's the CEO of uh, Football West, the man who talks all about and knows all about what's happening in not only Western Australia but Perth, generally speaking. Uh, the, the man is Jamie Harnwell. We've known him from not only the way he played the game, but also the way he called the game when he was doing it on television. We're delighted to have him join us this afternoon on FNR. Jamie, welcome. Thank you very much. Have you had a chance to draw breath after the last couple of weeks? It, it's been a big couple of weeks over here in uh, in Perth. Uh, obviously, the, the Premier League team's being involved for in Perth at the one time is is unheard of. Um, it, it's been fantastic. We've had the one-year-to-go announcement for the Women's World Cup as well as the Australia Cup qualifiers and our very own State Cup final uh, in the middle of that as well. So the, uh, the, the the previous weekend, we had uh, two Premier League games and uh, three games for us, sorry, four games for our State Cup finals day. It was a long, very long weekend. Um, a lot of staff needed a little bit of a breather after that and uh, we're just taking a bit of time to recharge at the moment. Uh, can you just validate for both um, our, our audience and also for myself and for Lockie that WA is still part of Australia? <laughs> we, are, we are certainly now. It may have been debated for a, for a year or two um, oh. over the last couple of years. Oh. But no, we are, we are certainly a part of WA and uh, certainly, sorry, certainly a part of Australia. And credit to Tourism WA um, who really put their hand up to, to bring these teams over to to Western Australia, to Perth, a, a significant investment to put um, Perth and Western Australia back on the map in, in people's minds, not only in Australia, but overseas as well. Can I just say they've done a fabulous job because that last game, Aston Villa, Manchester United, boy, don't draw breath. You couldn't draw breath. It had it all. And you saw a fired up uh, Stevie G, uh, you know, allowing young Leo... Bailey? Leon Bailey, yeah. Yeah, Leon Bailey, uh, who could be anything in the Premier League this year. Uh, he let him loose in the, in the second half. And wow, the audience, uh, the crowd lifted, the energy levels lifted, and that that became quite a game. When you thought early on it might be just Manchester United going through the motions, it really was a cracker. And I'm just wondering from your perspective, how did you feel the night? 
Well, I'm a Manchester United supporter, so I was pretty disappointed, to be honest. I was quite happy to see United go through the motions and roll but, over. But did you imagine um, it was going to come back like that? No, no, I must admit, um, I, you know, both teams were making some substitutions in the second half. United significantly weakened. Villa, to their credit, uh, really put in a good shift, uh, put in a really strong performance in in pretty difficult conditions as well. You know, we're not really built for huge amounts of rain over here in Western Australia. And it's been <laughs> bucketing down the last two or three weeks. Um, and I can attest to that after the game of getting soaked to the skin, walking back to my car. So the the both teams and even and the Friday night is game as well. But that's the benefit, I suppose, of having friendlies that are so close to the, the season kickoff. There wasn't any, you know, just walking through trying to get a little bit of fitness. There was competition for places. There was bragging rights. Uh, there were two really good games that were held here in Perth. Uh, what did you make? Now, as a commentator, what did you make of Leon Bailey's performance? Yeah, look, exciting. Um, I think there are a number of, of younger players across all four teams that stood up uh, across that as well. There's... Um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how some of these players go, Leon Bailey, particularly in the in the hustle and bustle of the Premier League itself. But uh, certainly uh, on on the Saturday night, uh, he was he was a, a shining star. I thought the Manchester United front three in the first half were were fantastic. Yeah, they were. Um, and then and the Friday night, I mean, Crystal Palace with so many players missing put up a, a heck of a good show uh, against a you know a stronger Leeds United side as well. What people don't readily appreciate, and it wasn't made that bigger deal there were nine players from the elite um, squad that is Crystal Palace that they have on their books that aren't vaccinated and couldn't come to Australia so Zaha and others you know who would have really uh, you know raised the stakes weren't able to come and be part of the competition which was uh, a great shame but from your perspective as CEO of Football West what was the what was the feeling what was the buzz what was the consensus on the ground what were from the fans yeah, I mean the the fans um, were, were great, were were satisfied with what they they saw, what it does, and, and I know there's been some criticisms uh, across the country of Premier League teams coming in. It puts football right back in the front of people's minds for for that period of time. There was no discussion around Eagles or Dockers. It was <laughs> who, what about Manchester United and Aston Villa? What's going on there? The place was covered in red, uh, the Aston Villa purple, not the Dockers purple. Correct. Um, and we were also fortunate enough to, to do a lot of work with Aston Villa who brought out some of their foundation coaches across the week, uh, across schools, our talent development programs, and across some of our charitable initiatives. And you talk about Stevie G. He spent, uh, I think it was about two hours with our speech, telephone speech and hearing centre with some young kids on the Friday afternoon and could not have been more pleasurable, more engaged. Professional. Um, with a bunch of, of youngsters that are facing some challenges in life. So the, the ongoing and lasting impact was, was significant. That's fantastic to hear. Uh, someone of your stature giving us a sense of something that we didn't readily get access to, to see Stevie G reaching out and doing something above and beyond. We got a glimpse of something he did in Townsville when he went out and met a young schoolboy at yeah, one of the... Whose name was Aston. Whose yeah. name was Aston, and he's an Aston Villa fan. So, so that's the secret to getting uh, Stevie G to visit you. To <laughs> strategically name your children from change, now on. Change their name by deed poll. <laughs> Aston, and you'll get Stevie G front. And did you have you seen the, the gorgeous vignette that was released on uh, the media? Uh, it was Stevie G rocking up to the school, asking to meet young Aston and taking him out of class, <laughs> taking him to the training ground and then saying to him, by the way, if you and your parents would like to join us, guests of Aston Villa 
in during the during the EPL. Uh, we're looking forward to to seeing you. Yeah, I mean that's the beauty. That's the power of football, oh. isn't it? It touches so many people. It's it's the common game um, across all. And yeah, certainly our, our charitable partner, Football Futures Foundation, saw that themselves. They produced some good um, some good footage uh, across. Uh, Gerard's visit. He's, he's not much of a goalkeeper. He didn't stop any of the shots, <laughs> so that was disappointing. But, um, but but seriously, he was he was fantastic and just showcased his role as uh, as not only a Villa manager. Let's be honest, as a as a Liverpool legend as well across the whole time that he was here, and and couldn't have been more giving with his time. Well, and Jamie, look, not to I know we've used the phrase uh, out of breath uh, a few times already, but it, it seems apt because looking at the uh, the men's state cup final as well, it seemed like some of that. Premier League quality rubbed off on that game because it was exciting, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. An, an astounding game. Uh, Coburn would be the the team catching their breath after they scored that late penalty, coming back from two <laughs> 0 down against Armadale, their first uh, state cup win in twenty seven years. I mean, what what a showcase for for NPLWA football that was. It was, a, and it wasn't just that that game either. We had, also had our women's uh, Hyundai State Cup final, um, where Perth Red Star in their new form mm. won their first. Uh, First Cup um, pushed very hard by Perth Soccer Club and also some of the uh, underpinning men's NPL finals as well. Um, I think we had games kicking off from 9 o'clock and I left the venue sometime around 7 o'clock that evening after uh, all the presentations and the celebrations. So it was a fantastic turnout. The weather uh, stayed fairly fine, um, which was great. The pitch held out and... Yeah, you know the 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 penultimate, sorry, the ultimate game, the the men's final at the the end of the day couldn't have had more drama really or more excitement um, to decide our our state cup. Uh, you've played enough football and you've called enough games to know that two nil is the most dangerous <laughs> scoreline in the game. Yes, well, it's, it's, so it proved again. I, I don't know. I think when you're five nil down, that's pretty dangerous for a manager. Uh, um, that's different. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah. Look, it, it, there was just there was a, a real swing in momentum and tempo. Um, Armadale had made a couple of substitutions that really changed the game. Coburn sort of fell further and further back and, and couldn't maintain the possession that they had. Um, and yeah, just some some really uh, you know some big moments, I suppose, to, to decide a cup final. Uh, is the state government happy and the tourism arm happy with uh, the work that they put in and uh, the results they got back? Oh, I think so. I haven't had a, an official debrief, but just chatting with those at Optus Stadium um, and those at government, it, you know, there is the the twofold approach. One of saying, yes, we are open again to the world, um, but also actually making sure visitors were arriving. And from the uh, the number of different accents I was hearing uh, <laughs> across both games and the number of people buying merchandise and the like, I think that was um, certainly successful. I was just going to say, I'm glad you mentioned merchandise because p- p- people are sort of poo-poo and don't appreciate uh, just what the fans do and how wrapped up they get. I was uh, at the MCG on a bitingly cold winter's night in Melbourne for Manchester United Crystal Palace, right? And what did I see? I saw thousands upon thousands of parents well before the game in queues, long queues, so they could buy merchandise from the various outlets. And there were children galore of all ages just wrapping themselves around their favourite colours. And I tell you what, the spectacle... Uh, the MCG was amazing, but the pictures we got of Optus was also extraordinary. So you must be thrilled a bit with the way the imagery would have travelled around the globe. 
Yeah, absolutely. For, for Perth as a destination, um, my oldest daughter is one of those queuing up for the merchandising stores and was lucky enough to nab, I think, the last shirt in her size uh, before the Manchester United game. But, I mean, Optus Stadium is, is a fantastic venue. The, obviously, the, the surface struggled with the rain, the amount of um, activity that's been going on, but the, the lighting up of Optus Stadium, Madagarrat Bridge, um, throughout the city in support of uh, these games was, was fantastic. Uh, it is a worldwide audience when you're talking about Manchester United, Aston Villa, Leeds and Crystal Palace. There is so much interest um, and it's great that the state government really recognise um, the power of football. Um, they invest in that and, and they have done as well with the, with the Women's World Cup and leading into that as well. Yeah, and it was re- really positive signs, I think, from a, a tourism perspective as well to see people coming in to watch hotels United. The full. big crowds, the yep. hotels, the people yep. queuing up, getting the last shirts in some cases. Yep. Yep. I mean, that all sounds like it augurs uh, pretty well for a Women's World Cup as well. You hope to see similar sort of things replicated. I'm curious to know what kind of uh, steps and what plans are in place one year out at, uh, at yeah, Football yeah. West uh, yeah. to, to ready ourselves for, for that in, uh, in Western Australia. And for what follows, a legacy, for example. Yes, exactly. Yeah, correct. And, and look, yeah, it's just nice to see uh, hotels being used for things other than COVID, uh, <laughs> which is prevalent over the last 18 months oh. or two years or so. But there, there's been a huge amount of work done already behind the scenes in, in preparing for the Women's World Cup. Um, we know that we're going to see a, a real spike in participation. We're already up around 13% um, from last year in terms of female players wow. uh, for ourselves. And I'm sure that's replicated across across the country. We need to make sure that our clubs are capable of handling that influx, that the facilities are there, that the culture's right, um, lighting, change rooms, all those types of things play into um, making sure that once a young girl experiences the game, that she wants to stay and she wants to be, and you know, she becomes a lifelong player, supporter, um, volunteer, coach, referee, whatever that might be as well. So there's a lot of work going on behind the scenes. I think the really promising, the really powerful thing has been the recent Euros, uh, yep. seeing the huge crowds, oh. the atmosphere, the the emotion, the passion has been incredible. And I really think that has opened people's eyes um, to how big this event will be. It is the third biggest sporting event in the world. Not no women's sporting event. It's the third biggest sporting event in the world after the, the Men's World Cup and the Olympics. And it's just going to it's gonna be a huge boost to the, to the state. Hopefully we don't get the weather like we did um, this time around. It's a little bit finer for people coming to, to visit our beautiful city. But um, we're expecting a, a great show. Um, as I said, the state government have been extremely supportive. We've got our new state football centre here opening uh, before the Women's World Cup and we'll be hosting the training teams as well. So there's a lot, lot of good work going on and, and we look forward to uh, being able to capture the uh, the excitement of the tournament, make sure it's a great one, but also, as you said, George, it's that legacy piece of, of what's left afterwards and we want uh, our game to be one that's enjoyed by uh, by all females um, in whatever form they choose to do so. Uh, Jamie Harnwell is our special guest on State of Our Football Nation on FNR. George Danikian along with uh, Lockie Flanagan and we're talking uh, all things football, all things uh, West football West. And I, I think what we need to do is also encourage you to reach out to the most popular premier in the world. I think his name is Mark McGovern. Um, and, and to remind him that uh, only this morning, I think uh, we found out that the USA, the world's number one football team, women's reached out and signed a deal with England, who are the champions, of course, of Europe, to play in a couple of months' time, and it sold out in a in about three hours. Mm. Sold out, significant, isn't it? Oh, 
It's unbelievable. It's the most wonderful thing, and it shows you the power of women's sport, and especially women's football, which is currently on a tear. It's yeah, it's a huge, uh, you know, the trajectory of women's football from you know from when I first started even coaching, uh, what was W League, what is A League women's now to yep. to the present day is just incredible. Um, internationally, the Matildas are one of the most recognisable sporting brands of Australia. Uh, we obviously have the, the privilege of having uh, Sam Kerr as a product of Perth. Oh. Uh, you know, again, arguably the best player. She's in currently the world. struggling, but, isn't she? As a, yeah, as a yeah, media, she, yeah. as a media type, <laughs> she's um, she, yeah, just incredible. You know, I can't keep track of all the awards that she's won recently in top goal scorers, uh, league champions, cup champ. You know, it all it all points to um, an incredible interest in the game. We're working very hard with Football Australia to make sure we can line up a, a Matilda's game here in, in Western Australia. It's been some time since we've seen them over here. And, and I'm sure, you know, the FA are, are looking only at big teams now. That's all they seem to, that's all they want to play. They they recognise the brand that the Matildas are and the, the standard they need to play against. So hopefully sometime in the near future, we uh, we get a Matilda's game across here and, and we get Sam to play in front of her, her hometown oh, crowd. That would be magnificent. Hey, Jamie, I, I'm, I'm really glad that you brought up your previous stint as a uh, as a head coach of uh, the Perth Glory uh, A-League women's side because I'd be really interested to get your thoughts on uh, on how Alex Aparkas has, has done in that job so far because I've got to say I was very impressed uh, with the job that he did both on and off the pitch uh, in his inaugural season. You must be uh, pleased with the way he's taken over that side. Yeah, look, uh, you know, can, uh, and after a pretty rough first season as well um, when – you know, a lot was was stacked against the side. They were very young, they were very inexperienced, had a lot of travel, um, had the hubs and everything to deal with. They, mm. you know, they embarked on a pretty deliberate rebuilding process, um, and to yeah, to see the improvement that the that the team made uh, in the season just gone again, still facing some significant hurdles in terms of travel and what have you is mm. um, was certainly a testament to Alex's work. He, he's extremely passionate about. The project, uh, as he calls it, and developing not only you know football and the players at Perth Glory, but also he's very willing to help out in the community and um, and throughout you know football West as well. So you know I've got a, a really good relationship with Alex. He's been down to our um, NTC program, our girls NTC, and the like to to provide some wisdom, to scout, to those those type of things. So he's done a an incredible job, and uh, and the challenge now is to take that next step um, and get Perth Glory back up, challenging for uh, championships. Uh, Jamie, you've seen an awful lot of talent over the years, and uh, dare say, under the auspices of, of your role too, you'd be you'd be seeing a, a lot of young men and women playing. Are we seeing some tremendous young talent coming through? I, I think we are. I, don't, I mean, I, I think there's some there's some unfair criticism being labelled at uh, at development in this country. Um, you know, we've always produced good players. We produce good national teams, both men and women's. Um, we're in a, a, a you know an unenviable position where uh, you know other nations are starting to catch up, and it, it's very difficult to keep finding those gains and keep staying ahead. Now we've been able to do so so far. Uh, obviously, the point, the recent appointment of Ernie Merrick uh, to provide that technical direction for the country is extremely important. Um, but you know, for for Perth and Western Australia, I think we've always punched above our weight somewhat in producing. Players, uh, if you think of Sam Kerr, uh, Trent Sainsbury, Adam Taggart, um, Josh Risden, 
and all players have gone on to represent national teams. You've got young Hannah Lowry and Miranda Templeman now in the in the most recent squad announced for the young Matildas. So we're we're proud of the work we do. We know we need to continually innovate. We need to um, continue to work hard to to make sure we get better and invest in our coaches, in our clubs, uh, and those sort of things. But um, infrastructure, you know, infrastructure, yeah, yeah, facilities and infrastructure always a big thing, but. You know, if you go back to the golden generation, I think about myself growing up, the infrastructure was hopefully a goalpost, uh, <laughs> maybe a little bit of grass and a ball. So that's certainly not the be-all and end-all. Yeah, it's, um, yeah. it's the opportunity to play, to practice, to make mistakes and to be given a, a supportive environment to do so. Uh, I remember a, um, a documentary a number of years ago called A Bat, A Ball and A Boy, and it featured a young Jeff Davies who would go on to play for both uh, New South Wales and also Australia in cricket. And he was a Ramwick boy, and I remember so, – and it was very similar what, to what you just said. Uh, all he needed was a bat, a ball, and the desire. And, and that led him, of course, down this magnificent pathway to succeeding. And we'll always have young men and women who have that fire in their belly. But I think what we need to do for all the mums and dads and everybody else – who wants to improve the game, we've got to give them a chance to have facilities that are, at the very least, only fair and reasonable. We don't want the young girls to be changing in the car, you know, when mum and dad drop them off at the ground or have to wait for them at half time to, you know, have the oranges and whatever. We need to help them and support them as much as possible because it's a fabulous game. It's a game, that, it's a game now that can actually provide them with a professional career. That's the other thing. We're now seeing young women across the world playing the game 12 months a year. Uh, isn't that fantastic? Did you ever imagine yeah. that would happen in your, t- oh, in your time? Look, I, I always hoped it would. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you I, dreamt of it. Yeah, you know, especially, you know, I'm pretty much retired from professional football as a player and moved straight into coaching both NTC girls and the glory women. And I was just immediately struck with the the passion um the the quality of these of these people uh, more you know they, they were yep. good people they they gave so much of themselves um you know in terms of work time study uh, to be able to represent Perth glory to be able to play at the level they did with very minimal recom- uh, return yeah. So yeah 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 to be able to see those opportunities that they're receiving now is is fantastic as the as the father of a a young female player. Um, it, it gives me hope for for those. It's um, look, it, it's still it's a it's a hard job. It's it's the most enjoyable job in the world. But um, being a professional <laughs> footballer isn't easy. And and you know you you need to be very careful when you step into that. Um, Correct into that that that's the right thing for you to do because you will be tested mentally, physically, and, and the like. But now that players have this opportunity um, and don't necessarily need to jump from season to season to be able to play professionally. Whereas a few years ago, the, you know, the players that play here for three months, they go to the U S for six months and they yep. might get a month's break somewhere before the national team, you know, to be able to have be settled in a, in a UK or a longer U S season. That's what we need to aspire to here in Australia and have a, you know, a fully professional league where players can develop, feel comfortable um, and set their mind to the task of becoming better players and not having to worry about juggling those other elements. Well, on the subject of things that you certainly wouldn't necessarily have expected to happen uh, this time a, a decade or so ago, I mean, you definitely would not have been expecting 
uh, Perth Glory's men's and women's sides to have to be this sort of travelling road show that unfortunately because of you know yeah. various reasons we've seen them be in the past few years. I mean, how much are you looking forward to having those two sides back predominantly in, in the state of, the of WA and and you know how excited are you to to leverage the their you know home games into potential um not just people taking an interest in the game but maybe converting a few uh, yeah. into the grassroots as well well it's it's just those eyeballs straight away you, mm. you know we're a long way away from people over here um and when you're out of state you, you tend to get forgotten about a little bit to be perfectly honest so you know when you didn't have glory here front and centre, and even for myself as a football person, you'd be, you know, trawling the news websites, trying to make sure you kept up to date. You'd be, you know, switching on to Paramount to try and catch those games, and which would be at odd times because they're having to fit things in. So it became really difficult for them to maintain a presence here in the West when they were absent for so long. And unfortunately, I think that showed in their attendances when they did return that they were unable to generate that, um, that passion that was shown in that first home game they had, which is around 18,000-odd people that they had there as well. So really looking forward to a, what, you know, let's hope, you know, touch wood, a, a normal season, whatever that means these days, a, a regular opportunity for Glory to play at friendly times um, on weekends. So it's not, you know, either middle of the day or it's too hot or too late at night. Um, and they're able to redevelop that, um, that fan base because there's, you know, as you saw from the Premier League games, there is a passion for football here. There is a passion to be, uh, for, to be parochial, to support your local teams. Uh, and hopefully Perth Glory can re-harness that. Look, there was no doubt about that. Uh, there was a fabulous roll-up to see uh, the key marquee, um, uh, Sturridge, turn out, and he played, I think he ran on for a couple of minutes towards the end of that game because he had only arrived uh, you know, a few days earlier, but he made the effort, and clearly the audience was prepared to make the effort too. They turned up. In their thousands, as you said, nearly 18,000 rocked up. And it was a great shame that the whole year was compromised by all that disruption. And, um, um, and the other thing was, of course, the fact that he couldn't get fit for long enough um, to, to showcase his wonderful talent, which um, you know really would have energised even more people to come to see the games in uh, WA. Uh, before I let you go, one question that really struck me um, this, I remember seeing Optus being built a number of years ago and it looked like a magnificent setting with that bridge uh, from the city and you can walk straight up to it and it's on that point there that you can't miss and when it's lit up at night, it's magnificent. But I would have thought it would have a state-of-the-art drainage system. How could it have so many problems with, with the rain? Did we have that much rain? Yeah, well, to put it simply, we certainly did. Um, high high was... tide, was it? <laughs> uh, no, no it's, it's not El Nino, but it's, it's one of these uh, weather phenomenons that apparently we're experiencing a very heavy winter rainfall, uh, you know, with, with two games in a couple of days, plus the ongoing wear from, from AFL the previous week and what have you. It yeah. just, you know, and they were had blowers out on the field. They've got all the... The equipment required to help it grow in winter with the sun lamps and the stuff, it, it just suffered that. We suffered that much wow. rain in the lead up wow. to the week of that game, unfortunately, that I'm not sure any surface could um, have, could have handled what was required. So, look, it, it, in a way, it was good. It sort of went back to the you know the old first English first division days <laughs> where goalkeepers were covered in mud and players had come off head to toe, which is something quite nostalgic around that. So that was, I think, that was nice to see for my kids, especially who you know are used to seeing players with maybe a bit of gra- a grass stain on their sock 
and and that's about it. So that, just that tell me, just tell me they didn't turn on the ho- the hoses or the uh, the sprinklers before the game. That's all. <laughs> oh no, there's, there's absolutely no need to worry about that. Don't worry. I don't think you've got to slick up the surface anymore. Good on you, uh, Jamie Harnwell's been fantastic. He's been with us for nearly thirty uh, odd minutes. Uh, the CEO of Football West, and um, just to keep you in the loop, guess who's joining us in just a moment, uh, Jamie. Oh, geez, <laughs> there's a lot of choices. I'm not sure. No, no, we've got the disruptor himself, the new ah, chief Merrick. of football, Ernie Merrick, joining us in just a moment. So thank you. Listen up and uh, see if there's any questions you want to raise for him uh, next time you catch up with him. But uh, we're certainly looking forward to catching up with uh, the new man at the uh, top of the tree in Football Australia, Ernie Merrick. Thank you very much for joining us, Jamie. My pleasure. Thank you. All the best. Are you looking to change your destiny in life? Be your own boss? Start your own business? If you are, you need people who understand your needs and are committed to helping you make it happen. At DKP and Co Chartered Accountants, we are more than just accountants. We are business advisors, taxation consultants and strategists that specialised in setting up businesses. We understand the client and give them the very best customised advice and strategies to achieve their goals. Visit our website, dkpco.com.au, or give us a call today on 03 9023 9370. Fast, proactive, personal. That's DKP and Co. Chartered Accountants. Conceding kind of situation, but Atkinson did well. The boy from oh my goodness! Oh my goodness! Have you seen a more freakish goal in A-League history? Riley McGreen with a scorpion kick into the top corner. It's one of the most amazing things we've ever seen. Come on, Ernie, on your feet. You're listening to FNR, Football Nation Radio. Are you looking to change your destiny in life? Be your own boss? Start your own business? If you are, you need people who understand your needs and are committed to helping you make it happen. At DKP and Co Chartered Accountants, we are more than just accountants. We are business advisors, taxation consultants and strategists that specialised in setting up businesses. We understand the client and give them the very best customised advice and strategies to achieve their goals. Visit our website, dkpco.com.au, or give us a call today on 03 9023 9370. Fast, proactive, personal. That's DKP and Co Chartered Accountants. With this great sporting nation, 
who has yet to embrace fully the world's greatest game and for so long of trying to have the game accepted. And when I'm up at the big football field in the sky, I just want, want people just to remember I told you so. And suddenly the complexion of the game changes. Let's hope it doesn't, but this is the best period for Iran in the match. Ali Dodi, danger for Australia here, the flag's down! just feel for them, not just the boys, they are representative of so many people who make this game their life, it's just, uh, oh, I can't say anything. Right? Especially as they have the impetus, Aloisi, Cahill, Cahill, Tim Cahill has done it again, what a goal by Tim Cahill, 2-1 Australia, oh it's a wonderful moment. You're listening to FNR, Football Nation Radio. Are you looking to change your destiny in life? Be your own boss? Start your own business? If you are, you need people who understand your needs and are committed to helping you make it happen. At DKP and Co Chartered Accountants, we are more than just accountants. We are business advisors, taxation consultants, and strategists that specialised in setting up businesses. We understand the client and give them the very best customised advice and strategies to achieve their goals. Visit our website, dkpco.com.au, or give us a call today on 03 9023 9370. Fast, proactive, personal. That's DKP and Co. Chartered Accountants. You're listening to the State of Our Football Nation on FNR. George Danekian and Lockie Flanagan in the studios in Melbourne of FNR. And uh, we had Jamie Harnwell from uh, Football West, the CEO, talking to us and giving us a sense of what's been happening in Perth and what's been happening in WA over the last couple of months, especially with the arrival of all those uh, EPL sides who were here on, uh, you know, really precious pre-season uh, preparation for what promises to be a super exciting EPL season. Uh, there's a World Cup coming up in November. And for the very first time in the history of the EPL, they're actually stopping the competition. Uh, and there'll be, for I think it's half a dozen weeks, while the World Cup takes place. And then, of course, action will resume immediately after. So it'll be very interesting to see how the season pans out. But uh, right now, uh, you know, we, we got a chance to speak to Jamie and he said to us he was excited by the news that Football Australia has entrusted uh, a two-time A-League winning coach, Ernie Merrick, with uh, a very special task, and that is of being the country's first football officer. Uh, welcome, Ernie, to the program. Thanks, George. It's a pleasure to talk with you. Look, um, we, when we heard that uh, Ernie Merrick was given the, uh, you, you know, a unique new role, because I don't think anyone's had it before, uh, we realised that the, what you would bring to the table would be years of experience, years of setbacks, and, and always, and you've proven this time and time again, you've always found a way to, to pro- provide the answers you needed to get back on top again. And that's always the measure of a champion, always the measure of someone who knows their craft. 
how are you feeling a few days after? Because last night I watched you on, um, you know, I think it was Network 10, calling the uh, all the action for the, the final 16 draw, and you handled it with aplomb. <laughs> I'm not... I'm not sure that that's my future in life. No, it's not. <laughs> but it was a first task that you handled seamlessly. It was uh, it was good fun, and it was great to see so many. Being a Victorian, uh, I've got to be a bit more uh, fair to every other state. Of course, <laughs> but I was just impressed with the number of Victorian sides that are in the competition uh, from semi-professional and amateur level. It was pretty impressive. Well, on the uh, the contrary, Ernie, as a as a Victorian, uh, to to see you draw so many uh, t- so many of these uh, round of sixteen fixtures in the state of Victoria, uh, I thank you for your service. Uh, you're welcome. I, I was a bit surprised that my one of my older clubs, Wellington Phoenix, were I think it's Melbourne City. They're yep, playing. That's right. They were dr- they were drawn out first, but unfortunately, they've got to fly over here because it is the Australia Cup, I guess. So they're going to do well, and Melbourne City's had a great run the last couple of years. They're looking good as well. Uh, what's the most exciting part of this uh, opportunity, Ernie? I know it's early days, and I know that there's an awful lot of preparation. Will you be, for a start, will you be going to Qatar? Is that on your plans? We, we haven't finalised what my calendar will be. Um, I want to see the Matildas playing against Canada here in Australia. Yep. I think they've got two games, one in Sydney and one in Brisbane. The the, the Socceroos are playing against New Zealand, home and away. Yep. I'll probably go to at least the away game, maybe the home game as well. After that, there's some, uh, there's, I think the regional um, tournament has been played with the kids, the under 16s, etc., up in Coffs Harbour, the boys and the girls. So uh, my calendar's fit filling up very quickly I may or may not get to Doha I'm, I'm not sure what's going to happen as I say it is the first time this role has been established and uh, I'm pretty keen to try and influence coaching as well as pathways for elite juniors so there's a lot on my plate at the moment what does it mean what does this role of chief football officer mean for the fans for the sponsors and for everyone else the players involved I think James Johnson and the board wanted a football advisor first and foremost and they wanted someone to review programs that are in place to see where we're in. Well, let's let's not beat about the bush. It's not it's not a, taking over a disaster or anything like that. The the men are qualified for their fifth consecutive Olympic game, uh, World Cup, sorry. Yep. And uh, the, the the ladies are are um, have been top ten. The Matildas have been top ten for most of the the last couple of years. They're in twelfth position now, but they're doing really well. And of course, World Women's World Cups on in Australia and New Zealand next year. So there's a lot of exciting things happening. But we've always got to look towards improving, changing, yep. getting better, uh, innovating. I I found as a coach, if you weren't changing your approach to make it better and innovating and growing, then you didn't you didn't actually stand still, you moved backwards very That's quickly. Right. So so it's very I'm very keen to, to help develop those areas and, and that's the focus initially on on participation rates, on elite pathways, youth development and programs that are run by coaches and coach education will be a major part of that. And I've been doing a bit of work with that with the 
with the Football Coaches of Australia Association. On your football uh, phone list, do you have Tony Gustafsson and uh, Brad Maloney? Yes, yes, <laughs> Brad Maloney uh, has just been announced today for the under-17s. I tried to sign. It's funny, what goes around comes around yep, often. Yep. You, you, and I tried to sign Brad for Sunshine George Cross when I was coaching there in the old NSL. Uh, I didn't get him. He, he went to Marconi, I think, at the time. But he was always a, a good player and a hard worker. And he's been coaching over in Asia. Yeah, in Malaysia. Doing yeah. really well. And uh, Tony Gustafsson, we, I've caught up with him virtually via email. And uh, hopefully I'll spend a bit of time with him when he arrives over here in Australia. Uh, uh, I've got to ask you, Ernie. Um, you've, you've seen a mountain of football uh, over the years. Could you have imagined a more exciting scene at Wembley only a few days ago when England took on Germany? And they not only filled the place, but they, they, were, they were busting at the seams. And uh, apparently uh, America has just uh, locked a match with England uh, a little bit later in the year, and it's sold out in three hours. You're talking about women's football, aren't you? Yeah. Yes, it's just amazing. It's amazing how football is taking off. And um, it used to be the Socceroos with the flagship. Now they're under a bit of pressure from the Matildas and the, the quality of games. I watched the Matildas play when I was up in Newcastle. They played against Brazil and beat them. They played against Chile and beat them. And uh, they, weren't, they weren't older players. It was a real mix of young, young up-and-coming players. And it was just great to see the quality of football. And women's football has got a lot of skill about it, but not only that, the end-to-end stuff, it's really exciting. They don't, they're not as, uh, maybe some would say, professional in closing things down and shutting the shop. and Or, sta- or staging. Yes. It, it's, <laughs> it's really open, uh, fair, honest football. It's a, a thing that's sort of drifted out of the men's game for a while, but... Um, the, the women's women's football worldwide is becoming enormous and it's great to see. The boys and the girls at FNR over the last year or so have said that we have the potential to be, you know, to, to receive a fabulous boost to the game and it'll be the women leading the way. Are you a convert? Oh, I've always been keen on women's football. It's just nowadays it's a real pleasure to, to watch them play and I certainly am a convert. And uh, I'll be going to as many games as I can. It'd be great to see a World Cup here in Australia shared with New Zealand as well. That was a major coup for Football Australia to pull off as well, George. Well, Ernie, reading through the uh, the City Morning Herald article that uh, basically helped to help to push your announcement out <laughs> to the public, uh, one of the things that's sort of listed as your your top priority, obviously, is to review that development pathway, improve coaching practices or standards rather, so they're in line with best practice. I'm curious to know on a day-to-day level, what that sort of looks like. Obviously, you've sort of got to go through a review. How deep into the weeds do you sort of plan to get to, to identify those um, areas of potential improvement? I think I've got to cast a net uh, wide. I mean, Asian countries are really growing the game. Uh, as we saw the other day, Myanmar beating mm. uh, Joyce. Yeah. Um, the the Middle East is, is spending a lot of money. There's the Aspire Academy in Doha. Vietnamese, when I was in Hong Kong playing against Vietnam, I forgot how good they were and how quick they were. Malaysia, Singapore beat us as well when I was in Hong Kong. So um, 
Asia is growing, I, I think uh, I have to look at the content and the curriculum that's been pushed maybe in some of the European South American countries as well. But it's not just the content and the curriculum, it's the method of, of imparting knowledge. Um, I'm, I'm pretty big on uh, teaching technique within context of the game, so playing lots of small-sided mini-games to improve technique, as well as a, a game sense and game awareness. So, it's, so I, I need to look at content, curriculum, and the, the, the methods used to share that knowledge with the youngsters and develop their skills. Uh, when when they announced you as the disruptor and you you, you embraced that uh, that uh, that name or that title, uh, does that mean that you've already started or you're about to start? I think James was talking about uh, the need for change to be accepted as well. Yep, and uh, and that some I'm I'm not a disruptor, but. I may have looked like that on the side, like you know, as a soccer coach, with my my game face. But um, I'm very much into collaboration, cooperation, and sharing ideas. And um, but sometimes when you need to make changes, you have to make changes, and that disrupts things for a little bit. Some people don't like change. You know what it's like. So that's where disruptor came in. But it's certainly a question I get asked a lot. <laughs> Is uh, how I see a disruptor. Well, I'm, I'm more of a, a friendly, uh, a person that empathises with people, and um, tap on the shoulder. <laughs> the, the, I, I also, I've, I looked at the game. I've, I've been involved inside the game, and I've now, in last year, been outside the game, and I had a look from outside and looked at other games and been involved with St Kilda and a great coach called Brett Ratton, and. Uh, I, I've learned a lot from 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 Brett and the line coaches at St Kilda because they have to do a lot of coaching using videos because the game is so physical they can't train so hard as soccer players, which is less physically demanding and, and dangerous. So, so I've got lots of ideas, but I want to hear what a lot of people have to say about what needs to be worked on, and then I have to really review programs and make some suggestions and and maybe not disrupt i might have to terminate a few things <laughs> <laughs> we've got uh, ernie merrick uh, the new uh, um uh, football australia first uh, football, chief football officer, officer yeah chief football officer joining us uh, he's been with us now for a few minutes and we're getting a sense that um the fa has done a very smart thing they've brought someone into the game who's been in the game for a lifetime, you know uh, where, where a lot of the bodies have been buried. You also know what drives so many different states to do what they do and have done over the years. You've, you've been here and you've been over there. Is there a team you haven't uh, coached? But I, And I ask, that's a rhetorical question. Uh, we know what you bring to the table. I just think you, you may well be, Ernie, and I know there are, all of us have doubts at, at different times in our lives. I, I have a sneaking feeling. I, I spoke to, to Gary Cole uh, about Ernie Merrick a number of years ago, and he is one of your number one disciples. And when you have people of that calibre in your corner, I, I, don't, I don't see you going wrong. I don't see you missing too many targets. And I certainly don't see you struggling to get on top of what is a very important job, especially at this very important time with a year to go 
for a Women's World Cup, which we'll share with New Zealand, but more importantly, a brand new A-League season and, of course, the talk of a national second division uh, bubbling on in the background. There are so many things that need to be addressed. And I'm, I'm liking the idea that Ernie knows, knows the, the lay of the land in a way that very few others do. I have to confess, George, I coached my son's under nine Bomoris soccer club and failed to win a game in 16 matches. Don't tell anybody. <laughs> we uh, had a great time. We used to celebrate corner kicks and throw ins if we couldn't celebrate a goal. Do you know, football. But, uh, Go on, I'm sorry for interrupting. I was going to say that um, I, I, a real insight into learning systems and, and um, tactics and strategy for me was working for 13 years at the Victorian Institute of Sport and sharing information with other male and female coaches there, whether it be in AFL, hockey, netball, basketball. And and so I, I feel as though in the coach education area and and uh, in the development of, of coaching programs and systems, I think we've got great potential. And as you say, there's so much happening at the moment with the second division coming in as well as the World Cup and two World Cups, the men play in November yeah, and the, the women next year. There's so much happening. I think I've come in at the right time, but I'm struggling to answer all my texts. And phone calls. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, it, it's, it's understood. It's, it's understood. I'm certainly enjoying what I'm doing and uh, I'll certainly give it the best go I can. Well, I, I don't have any doubts about you giving it your best go, um, but rest assured you're not going to do it alone. There are an awful lot of people out there who, who want things to progress, uh, who desire, and we all need it to, to go forward in a fashion that excites and delights people. Uh, you understand the role of parents and the role that they play each and every week on the sidelines. You also know how obstructive they can be if they um, uh, overstep their, their role. Um, uh, t- uh, tell me something. Have you had a chance in, your, in any of uh, your days to get a load of uh, Ted Lasso on television? I became a big fan of Ted Lasso, and I wrote a little article about it. How fast? He's a cheesy character that's a bit Americanized, although it was shot in England. But uh, there was a message there yep. for, for coaches that it's a lot to do with relationships. Coaching is, is about thinking of the best all the time and uh, trying to get the best out of people, not being this hard-nosed coach that believes in discipline and being tough on people all the time. I, don't, I think that's gone out a long time ago with the gas lamps. It's really about building relationships and, and empathising with people and uh, trust, and uh, he embodied that sort of image as far as I was concerned. I thoroughly enjoyed the series. Fantastic. There's a new season three coming. That's why I thought I'd run it past you. Um, Ernie, there's one other thing um, that you need to uh, take on board, and that is uh, there's a, a real need, a crying need, for Australian football to reach out and reawaken its love and and, and its connection with our first Australians, our Indigenous community. The AFL have done it in a fabulous fashion, even though they've had some problems over the years. And, of course, with the latest news from Eddie Betts and uh, uh, about a certain 
uh, training uh, regimen that was rolled out a, a number of years ago that's caused enormous upheaval and great pain. Uh, we need to d- rediscover why we aren't attracting more and more super talented young young boys and girls from the Indigenous communities right across Australia and the Tiwi Islands. I can't agree with you more, uh, George. I think that is absolutely crucial. Um, incidentally, St Kilda has got the largest number of Indigenous players in their squad. They've got seven, and I think that's a huge credit to them. And we need to we need to reach out and do the same. And um, I, I'll do whatever I can to assist in that area. That's a great point you make, Ernie. You were talking before about yeah, the importance of uh, of genuine connection in coaches, and you're obviously going to have this period of review where you get the chance to. Go out and make. A, I'm sure you've already got a pretty pretty lengthy contact yeah. <laughs> list of people in this game, but you know to go out and and connect with all the, the sorts of people you need to as you sort of conduct this review and identify the areas for improvement, what we might not be doing well enough. Um, for uh, for those sort of people who you know might be wondering perhaps about the the timeline of when you know, that review process might be up. Could you can you give us a bit of an insight over what the sort of plan is? You know, how long is that review roughly going to be to be looking like and, and when can we start to see the, the disrupting finally uh, <laughs> finally take place? Uh, I honestly couldn't say how long it'll take. But I wouldn't I wouldn't think it, everything's going to come to a standstill while I conduct a review. I think there'll be ongoing yeah. uh, yeah. efforts to make changes here, there and and uh, the meetings that I'm going to be involved in with the board and with the FA executive, I think there's a lot of suggestions that I would have as well as other coaches. And, and look, there's good people at, at the FA already working really hard, whether it be Trevor Morgan, Ronnie Smith, Ray Dower. So there's a lot of good people there. And, uh, but it's not going to be... Uh, we're not going to stop anything to conduct a review. There'll be ongoing ad- advisory groups which I'll be a part of, making suggestions left, right and centre. And we've got pretty good coaches in in Graham Arnold and Tony Gustafsson as well. And anything I can do to help them, I'd be really happy to do that. But I have no idea how long the review will take. But however long it takes, it's just a fact of life because we have to try and be Mm. fairly thorough. I I remember... um, Belgium was never a great football company country and um, a guy called Michel Sablon in 1998 rewrote their curriculum and their method of imparting the the knowledge and sharing it with the youngsters and the coaches and now they're second top nation in the world. I don't know that I'm going to have that much success but any improvement will help and we'll start to build and grow this game in this country. Well, it's not going to come to a standstill, but I think once George and I are walking around Amy Park and we can feel that the ground shake beneath Correct. our feet, that's when Correct. we know the the, uh, the disrupting is happening. <laughs> Things uh, are happening. So one one thing only that that we tear our hair about quite a lot is is the issue of um or the subject of player development. It's something we talk about quite a lot on this program. You know, how, are we producing enough players? All that sort of thing. I, I'm probably one of those people who are of the belief that we are producing enough players that are capable of making that grade. And I think after a bit of a fallow period, we're starting to see that balance readdress. The big exodus of players uh, from Australia to Scotland is something we've seen increase. Uh, one thing that I often get stuck on or, or really interested in is is not the, the quantity of players that, that we're producing and exporting, but is the, the quality or rather the type of player. It, it seems that 
oftentimes in in player development, um, Australian football is skewed towards the sort of athletically gifted uh, kind of players, a physically imposing style of of footballer, while maybe in some respects lacking those sort of technical, silky players that really allow us to to bridge the gap to the upper echelons of international football. I mean, in your time across the game, is that something that you've identified and, and potentially is something you might seek to address or investigate within this role? I've certainly not restricted myself to those type of players. If you remember, Vince Grella was built like a bicycle frame at 1815. <laughs> and uh, look how far he went. He yeah. in Serie A, Captain Parma at 24. Uh, Archie Thompson is just a wonderful, exciting player. And uh, so I agree that the, the skills and and Taking players on one-on-one is very exciting. It's, it's not all a passing game. It's not all the long ball. It's a mix. But having the players that have got the technical skills to beat other players, to me, they're, they're extra exciting, especially if it occurs near the, the penalty box of the opposition defences. So, yep, yeah, I'm with you there. I, I've always encouraged everyone who has any motivation and is pretty keen to, to develop the skills that, that uh, make make them look and perform so much better. Um, but the physical attitude, uh, the physical approach is always going to be there. The game is very fast. The, the um, physiological demands of the game is enormous. They're covering 10, 12, 13, 14 kilometres during a game and they're doing it at pace and re- repeated bursts. So that, that can't be neglected, but I think it's really something that gets, should be worked on at a later stage. I was watching a little bit of um, Western United against Victory, and Jake Grimmer is one of these players that Superstar. you're talking about. He, he scored a wonderful goal, yeah. one of the best I've seen. He's he's always on the ball, his head's up. He doesn't have to. His skills are so good. His his head's not down. He's looking around all the time for passing options. If anyone closed him down, he can beat him, and he can score goals. And to me, that's the best all-round players, and that's what we'll be aiming to produce, despite me being a, a just a, an old-fashioned defender that used to kick people, <laughs> I don't think I don't think I'd survive the game anymore. Ernie Merrick is our guest on FNR's State of Our Football Nation. Uh, Ernie, well mentioned about uh, you know Jake. He's he is a remarkable talent. Do you think he's missed that window to go overseas, or is he just, as they say, reclaiming some of that lost ground? Because I heard an interview with him uh, talking about his time at Liverpool, and, and he he said maybe his mindset wasn't right. He was a little homesick. Do you think? he still has that window of opportunity? Yes, I do. I've been so impressed with him. And yes, he, he did spend a little bit of time at Liverpool as a youngster. Yep. And sometimes the players go over. I've seen some of the VIS players in particular yep. go over a little bit early. Scott McDonald went over a little bit too early. He didn't make it to Southampton. But as he was determined to, to achieve something and he was very resilient and tough, eventually he became one of the top goal scorers in Scotland with Celtic and kicked on from there. So um, I, I, it's, timing is, is all Everything, important. Yeah. But uh, I'd love to see Jake Brenmar getting another chance overseas. He's certainly, in my opinion, Tony Popovich has done a great job with him. Oh, yeah. Well well said. Uh, one last question from me before uh, Lockie uh, runs the wheels out of the of the show. Um <laughs> There is another reclamation project uh, that's that's starting. 
and it's at MacArthur Bulls. There's a young boy called Daniel Azani who threatened to, uh, you know, captivate us. Or in, in fact, I'll take that back. He did captivate us. He went all mm. the way to the World Cup. And then an injury uh, at a critical time in his, uh, in his development uh, set him back. Is he, is he still got the goods to, uh, to make the grade if the mind is right? Yes, I do believe he has. Uh, he, he is another one of these very exciting players that can close down and, and take anyone that closes them down, he can beat. And that's a huge asset to have because you beat one player, then you're outnumbering the opposition. And if it's in the front third, you can create all sorts of havoc. So I, I think he, he has got the ability. But I've always said it's, it's skill set is one thing, but the mindset's the other. You, yeah. He's got to be absolutely determined to achieve what he wants to achieve. And uh, I think he's got a bit of work to do there, but he could do it, no doubt about it in my mind. Well, you threatened to create mayhem, but I believe you, we're going to get you to create something very magical. The Chief Football Officer at Football Australia is Ernie Merrick, and he's been our special guest on State of Our Football Nation. Ernie, thank you very much. We wish you enormous success, and go get him, young fella. My pleasure. Thanks, boys. No worries at all. Ernie Merrick doing us a, a fantastic service and giving us a sense of what he's got in front of him and how much work he's got. Do you think he's got enough work on his plate? Yeah, I think he'd be pretty sad. I'm surprised they asked him to do the uh, the ball draw. I guess it's a good way to break him in, but um, nah, look, uh, get him while you've still got him, I yeah, guess. No, I think it was a case he was in Sydney and the opportunity was available. Uh, well, as I'm, you, I'm uh, just wondering how many calendar invites <laughs> he got during that interview. <laughs> Uh, look, um, he, he speaks an awful, an awful lot of sense. Uh, Gary mm. Cole, as I touched on earlier, you, you, we've spoken to him on a number of occasions. And he's a super football man. And um, Gary always says, for the good of the game. And I'm reminded listening to Ernie speak that much of what he's talking about is for the good of the game. Mm. Uh, as young uh, Jamie Harnwell said in that first half hour of the program, uh, the things that he wants to achieve in his role at CEO of Football West. He's out there trying to make sure that the World Cup, Women's World Cup, when it comes, is, is a super success wherever it's played in Australia and New Zealand. Mm. And more importantly, there's a s- serious legacy for the young boys and girls to follow. And that's that's super exciting. And Ernie, as you, as you got uh, to understand very quickly, has got an awful lot of opportunities to navigate different pathways yes. and see how best they can come together and coalesce. I'm curious to see how it all goes. There you go. Thank you, Lockie. Catch you next week. Been a pleasure. You're listening to the State of Our Football Nation on FNR.